0: Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Mary Ann Wolf. This week, we're joined once again by some outstanding educators, the 2023-24 North Carolina Regional Principals of the Year, as well as the 23-24 Teacher of the Year, Kimberly Jones, and Dr. Jenny Korn from the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. Together, we'll discuss teacher working conditions in North Carolina, why they matter, and how we all can get involved in making improvements. We are so pleased today to be joined by Donna Bledsoe, the North Carolina Wells Fargo Principal of the Year from Cedar Ridge Elementary in Surrey County Schools, and several of our regional principals of the year, including Ashley Falkenberry from Craven County Schools, Rafika Cobb from Asheville City Schools, TJ Worrell from the Northeast Academy for Aerospace and Advanced Technologies in Elizabeth City, Dr. William Logan, from Durham Public Schools, Dr. Jenny Korn, the Director of Research and Evaluation for the Office of Learning Recovery and Acceleration at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, and Kimberly Jones from Chapel Hill High School, who is the North Carolina Burroughs Welcome Fund Teacher of the Year. Welcome to all of you. I'd love to start acknowledging that each of you in your roles as principals spend a significant amount of time supporting the educators in your building. And this past week, I had a chance to meet a new teacher um, up in Northern Virginia, where she was in her first year. She had graduated undergrad from James Madison, also with a master's degree And began teaching in Fairfax County and I was asking her what it was like and one of the things I asked her was about her salary and she mentioned that her starting salary there was $60,000, which is $3,000 above our average teacher pay in North Carolina, recognizing that our beginning teacher pay here is just a little over $39,000. One of the questions I want to ask you is what do we need to do in North Carolina in order to recruit high quality, excellent educators, like this person I met last week, and what does it take to retain them?
1: I I would strongly advocate for increased uh, professional development um, as a part of how we attract and and, um, uh, retain teachers. I think in most instances, we hear of school districts, you know, uh, expending eighty percent of their budget on salaries, um, and to not have a significant investment in that eighty percent expenditure in terms of how do we retain and keep those individuals. Um, I think that has to be addressed simultaneously as well, and I just think. Uh, we did ourselves or the state did us a disservice, you know, in the reduction or the removal of professional development funds that used to be there once upon a time. Um, and the last thing I would say is I think as educators ourselves, we do ourselves a disservice in that uh, this whole idea like everybody should be paid the same way. I, I've always strongly disagreed with that. Like an EC teacher who has a responsibility of going into the classroom as well as managing case files or being a case manager, I don't think that work is the same work that I, as a former English teacher, I didn't have that responsibility. And so I do believe teacher leaders who have demonstrated themselves to, um, who have demonstrated that, you know, they have a higher capacity to do the work I think there should be some form of stratified pay to reward those individuals or to offer incentive pay like we used to for EOC teachers uh, for for their performance.
2: Teaching um, was one of the hardest jobs I loved doing, right? And I I really enjoyed doing it for different reasons. And at the time, um, coming in as a young teacher, I remember thinking if I was single, I would not have continued to be a teacher in North Carolina just because it's hard to afford to live, you know, in North Carolina on the teacher pay that I was getting. And so I've always thought about, you know, if we want to attract the best, we need to pay for the best. And we are certainly having a challenge with attracting really good people who would make excellent teachers because of the pay and I and I agree I I my sentiments are the same and I and I would like to echo the things that my colleagues have said previously regarding. Our actions should reflect our words and what it is that we say, and in addition to being able to attract highly qualified teachers. You know, we also need to be able to attract more teachers of color. And we currently are not doing a very good job um, in our state of doing, it, doing that. And a big part of it does have to do with pay. Um, you know, when you have a person of color who's thinking about different pathways that they wanna take out of college, if they are a first-generational student, college-going student, and they're looking at these different pathways and are like, oh, wait, even if I want to be an educator, why would I go into education, accrue mo- more debt, and not be able to even afford, one, to pay my debt off, <laughs> to even go to college, and then two, to have somewhere to live. Here in the part of the state where I live in Asheville, very expensive to live here. And we we have a very hard time attracting teachers here. Um, for one, the cost of living is really high. And even if they want to come, they say, I really can't afford to live where I work. So I, I think we need to, as a state, do a better job of putting our money where our mouth is.
3: Yes, I would definitely echo what everybody has said already. Um It's kind of like you pay for what you get. And it shows that we value these people that are coming in as professionals, um, you know, that have high degrees um, in and and what they love and what they have a passion for. Um, and not to be cliche, but the kids are our future. And you know, all the doctors and lawyers, they had to go through school to get there. And a public school teacher or a teacher of some sort had to get them to where they were. And if we didn't um, pay for them to be in those positions, then all these other careers would not um, exist. And we want to be careful because um, on that same note that there are so many jobs that are being created every day and there's such a high percentage of things that um, that don't even exist yet. I mean, all these new types of things that are out there. Um, and so we want people to be going into our field um, so that we can be innovative, like I said, and creative so that we can create all these pathways to um to 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 different different avenues, um, you know, curing cancer and stuff like that. We it starts with us. The number one effect size um, that we have on students is a teacher, and we've got to invest in that um, and 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 put our money where our mouth is. Um, also, um, we need to make it easier for people to be able to um, go from job to job um, in Craven County where I'm at. Um, we've got two military bases that are very, very close to us. And it's very hard sometimes to get some of our military spouses because some of the degrees that they hold in other states um, and different colleges, um, it, it, it's, it goes along with the teacher pay because they have to pay a lot of money to take those extra exams and extra classes um, to go in an alternate way. Um, and, and they're great, great people um, and, and we want them in our communities and we want them in our schools. So, um, really the message that I would have to say is show that we value these people and put our money where our mouth is.
4: I think the answer to building our profession is, is more than just teacher compensation. I think that's a big piece of it and can have some serious impacts, but, um, like some of my colleagues said, colleagues have said, you know, we go to job fairs and we try to recruit educators and they're just the pool is so short, you know, we can call up colleges of education and ask for a list of graduates and we may only get three or four um, candidates that, you know, 25, 30, 100 schools are fighting for. So, you know, based just to echo all the ideas that my colleagues, you know, we uh mention of incentives and how, you know, we could incorporate a more fair and and less exclusive incentives uh, for our educators, more professional development, Um, but then finally just really focusing also on the working conditions and making sure that every classroom's, you know, a quality educator wants to go and wants to do what's right for kids every day um, is a big piece of that, so uh, by no means do I have any any answers, Um, you know, everybody would be motivated by additional compensation, but the improving conditions for for educators every day is only going to uh, improve student outcomes
5: i agree with tj that i think compensation is just a piece of improving teacher working conditions we are of course grateful for the raises that we've seen but i believe that a key piece would be putting back in um, masters pay really giving our educators a want to continue Their education, because that's the business that we're in, that we should always be growing Um, in a rural district like mine, um, bordered on the state of Virginia. It is hard to retain when they can not move, but go um, into Virginia and get paid on their master's. Um, So that's something that we that I personally struggle with to retain staff, quality staff here. Um, I have a, a amazing staff, but I have lost some who've come to me from Virginia and gone back um, because they can't afford to lose that master's pay. So I think for rural districts, it's it's even more important um, as we don't have supplement, local supplements, um, our local supplements are very low to, to make sure that our state salary is high and livable for our teachers. Um, But again, I do think that's just a piece of improving teacher working conditions, um, making sure that we as public educators speak about the great things that are happening in public education. So even our own children, like Jim said, want to go into the profession. I'm here because My mother always wanted to be a teacher, worked really hard to be one. And it's just a profession I always knew that I wanted to follow in her footsteps for. And so um, I, I continue to say to my educator colleagues, we've got to make sure that we are speaking about the joys of our profession too, so that we are filling our pipeline.
0: Thank you so much for being here and sharing your perspectives. After the break, we'll continue our discussion with Dr. Jenny Korn and Kimberly Jones.
1: Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning.
0: Welcome back. We are so pleased today to be joined by Dr. Jenny Korn, the Director of Research and Evaluation for the Office of Learning Recovery and Acceleration at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, and Kimberly Jones, the Chapel Hill High School teacher who is also our Burroughs Welcome Fund North Carolina Teacher of the Year. Welcome to both of you. Kim, I know in your role as State Teacher of the Year, you get to talk with educators across the state every single day. What are some of the common sentiments you hear when talking about work?
6: Number one, that our teachers remain ever committed to our students and to our work. Teachers across our state, despite various challenges are still showing up every day committed to students, committed to learning, and committed to growing their kids. What those challenges look like, however, vary from region to region in our state and the list of needs of our students continues to grow and even our most dedicated teachers are feeling Uh, Attention of sustainability. How do I show up as my best self? How do I meet the needs of my students when those needs are changing and resources don't always match those needs? Um, Wanting to help that whole child to succeed, but not always having either the sort of pedagogical training or the manpower to truly implement the interventions that we need to. But we show up anyway. Um, teachers are, are still finding ways to solve those problems, to be there for their students and to help kids learn and grow. And our students are seeing success despite those challenges every day. Our kids are are learning and growing, but teachers are feeling uh, a tension around the list of demands uh, of us as professional educators.
0: Thank you so much, Kim. And I think something you've done in your role and I've watched you do is lift up what it's like for teachers today, the what is working so well and what isn't working as well. And Jenny, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the teacher working condition survey um, and why it matters so much.
7: For 20 years, the Department of Public Instruction has been gathering teacher um, input and feedback on a variety of topics, really with the like driving intent to elevate teacher voice. We know that the teachers are not just the heartbeat of the classroom, but of our schools and our communities. They're like the first line of engagement with students and instilling that sense of inspiration and love of learning. And so I think our state has, for many, many years, wanted to know what they thought about the working conditions in the school so that we could make improvements, so that we could drive decisions based on their needs. Um, So um, last year, the State Board of Education, we were doing some work with them, looking at statewide data, and one of the things they, they kind of charged the department to do was to update the teacher working conditions. Um, it had been in place since 2002. The last kind of implementation had been, uh, t- had been two years ago, so 20 years of teacher working conditions data. And it gave us an opportunity to really think about um, a, a little bit of a reset, really drilling down to the core item. So we are kicking off March. The month of March is teacher working conditions month. Um, March 2024, um, and we've got a new survey um, for folks out in the field. We've got a new um, process for collecting the data. For the very first time, we're going to be emailing teachers a unique link, so all they have to do in their own time, in their own space, just click on that link, and they'll be brought to a survey that we've cut the number of items in half. We have really prioritized Um, trying to reduce data collection burden on teachers and on our schools. They have enough going on. The very last thing they have is time to waste. And so really wanting to drill down to those core items and then really focus on how that data is used to make changes for good to
0: support teaching in our schools. And Jenny, I wonder if you can share with us, um, knowing this is going out, what will feel like this these changes have really made an impact how should this information be used both at the state level but also the district level
7: we've really tried to be intentional in asking teachers asking principals about what data do they do they want to be able to use and so like for example one of the constructs one of the the area the sections of the surveys that we've updated quite a few of them um, but like one of the ones about facilities and resources we We pivoted a little bit so that it's about are the facilities and resources at my school, are they adequate for instruction to be able to provide high quality instruction, like really making teaching and learning the center of the survey, like and making sure that the the resources we're providing teachers and the supports are what they need to be able to help their students. We, we really drilled down on like the instructional supports and professional development, asking teachers, what are their top three needs for instructional supports, like mentors, co-teaching? What are their top three professional development needs with a lens towards getting that data And that's another kind of change we're making. We are really trying to expedite how quickly the data gets into the hands of school leaders and schools because they're telling us we're making our summer, you know, like conference plans for our teachers. We, if the data is collected in March, can we get it in April? And so we're really, really pushing our vendor to be able to get that data turned around really quickly because it'll have information about the top three needs for all professional development needs for your teachers. Um, We also, um, we rearranged the order of the survey a little bit, so the very first question teachers are going to see when they open up the survey is, my school is a good place to work and learn. It is the question we heard was most important for a school leader, um, that, that that was one of the items they used every single time. So we wanted to make sure every teacher got it first when they they were kind of fresh and ready ready and um, really had an open mind about, about talking about what was going on in their school. So we're hopeful that those changes that we're making, again, reduce that data collection burden and we can really spend more time as an education community talking about what we can do to improve Um, working conditions, school climate, school culture for teachers to improve their experience because we know that an effective teacher and a happy teacher really, really is what makes a happy classroom.
0: And Kim, can you just share with us what you hope educators
6: and community members take from this? To Jenny's point, I hope that in the return of that data, it allows for authentic initiatives at the local levels, I think across our state. Teachers can feel very divorced from state policy Um, if you're not in the triangle, if you're not in Charlotte, if you are in other regions of the state, DPI can feel like this very foreign place. But when you get back your teacher working conditions data, when your principals, when your school board, when your local community business partners are seeing the needs of your school, they're able to step in and create real solutions that are specific to your kids. Your needs and your communities, and I think there's power in authentic solution building. I think our our I've said it before. I think our our challenges exist from Murphy to Mania, but I think our solutions will be found there as well. And I think giving teachers and and school leaders accurate data, valid data for their specific communities, is one of the best ways that we can start to accurately and appropriately address those issues for for all of our students and all of our teachers.
0: Wonderful. Well, I'd love to have both of you back to share the data, what we find out. So I'll be looking in April or early May for that. And thank you so much for joining us. You're so thank welcome. You. After the break, this week's final word. My mom was a kindergarten teacher, a reading teacher, and a director of pre K for a large school district. I not only had the benefit of growing up in a home with my own personal teacher, but I also observed her work environments, her students, and her impact over the years. I realized I am biased, but my mom was an exceptional teacher, making sure that every student in her class left reading and feeling like they belonged. My mom loved being a teacher and had a deep understanding of what teachers need to be effective. Like all professionals, teachers deserve to have workplaces where they feel valued, respected, and empowered to do their job to the best of their ability. As we often share, teachers are the number one school-related factor that impacts student outcomes, and each teacher has the potential to impact hundreds of children throughout their career. We place high expectation on those educators to prepare their students for the future, but as a state, we have oftentimes failed to give them the resources needed to meet those expectations. North Carolina is currently in the unique position of being a top state for business, but a bottom state for effort in investing in education. We are currently 49th, if you look at a percentage of our gross domestic product or GDP. This is not sustainable. In order for North Carolina to continue to thrive, we have to prioritize education. And the best way to do that is to listen to educators, and give them the support they need to help their students be successful. The teaching working condition survey that will launch from DPI in March is an important way to gather their input. As you may have seen in your local schools, North Carolina has experienced teacher vacancies across grades and subject areas, and perhaps more significantly, teaching roles filled with non-certified teachers in recent years. When speaking to teachers, it is clear that supportive working environments and working conditions go a long way in combating this issue. High morale among educators translates to a more stable teaching workforce, stronger recruitment and improved student outcomes. We have an opportunity to truly listen to our teachers. Investing in favorable working conditions for teachers is an investment in the overall health of a state's public education system and we can't afford to not make those investments. In 2022, the North Carolina Teacher Working Conditions Survey received a nearly 92% response rate, which means the teachers are willing to tell us what they need, but we need to be willing to listen and act. The survey has been revised for 2024, creating the potential this year to receive even more insight in what we can do to help North Carolina's teachers better serve their students. We cannot let pride, politics, or anything else squander this opportunity to give our educators, students, and schools what they need. Every child deserves a teacher like my mom. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today, and we'll see you next week.